If you have your Bibles, go to, appreciate it if you could turn to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. I believe God is speaking to us and I thank God that he is speaking to us. And I really feel the weight of this and I want to convey that weight to you in the way I feel it. You know, Paul uses the word insist. He uses the word insist. I don't know if you've ever come across that word. He says, I, insi- I say this and I insist on it. And uh, there is a time to insist in God that when you're saying things, pay attention. Pay attention. Come upright. Listen to what is being said. And last week I spoke to us from, get, uh, from the story or the account, not the story, the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But I want, first of all, just to read Hebrews 2. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Now, when you read different variations of that scripture in different translations, that scripture, as I've just read to you, is the way I read it in the NIV. But I'm going to add some various translations into that. And uh, just to emphasize its importance and its meaning. He said, we must pay careful attention. No, the most, the most careful attention. Not just carefully, the most careful attention to what we have heard, that we don't drift away. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard, to what we are receiving, and to what we want to see achieved. Do we all want to see things achieved in our lives? then we must pay careful attention. Would we all acknowledge that we are receiving God's goodness to us in its totality every time we pray, worship, meet together, or every time we do that on our own? Would we all agree that we are receiving from his fullness? We must pay attention to what we're receiving. We must, we're we're all hearing this morning what's being said from my mouth, but are you hearing by the ears of your spirit and what you are hearing from the ears of your spirit, you must, you must pay attention. God is listening. So last week, or God is recording what your retention rate and your receptivity rate is like. Last week, like I say, we spoke about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And now it was a very intense moment for him. This was the moment that was going to decide whether he would obey his father's will or not. And he gave instructions to Peter, James, and John. And in this hour, God is giving instructions to you and to me. This is our garden moment as we're praying and God's been speaking to us. There is a moment where shift, a shift is coming to us. And depending on how we listen, it'll either be, listen, you'll either enter a shift or a drift. It's a shift, not a drift. And if you don't pay attention, you will end up drifting when you should have been shifting. A shift is a sudden movement that thrusts you towards a direction, to a different place in God, to a better place, a stronger place, a more productive place. That's a shift. But a drift is the opposite of that. And it's so easy. I want to talk to us about this because God has been speaking to me. Warn the church about drifting when they should be shifting. Amen. And in that garden, there was a complete opposite. There was, the, there was the drift by the disciples and there was a shift in the heart of Jesus. Jesus shifted 
more intently towards his father's will and the disciples pull back. And never at the point of intensity do you find these two things diametrically, diametrically opposed to one another. So when, you know, when you get the fight or flight, you either shift or you drift. You run that way or you, you know, you push yourself further ahead into the fight or you run further away. And, you know, you and I are only as, we're only as, I should say, you and I as believers are only as effective as the commands and the instructions you receive and can make room for. We're only as good as our obedience. Doesn't matter how well you can sing. Doesn't matter how much you've got, how much you can dance, how talented you are, how much money you have. Our obedience is all that Jesus is after. It is. And Jesus had to learn obedience to his Father's will. Now if the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, could learn obedience, how much more is it important for you and I to become obedient to the will of God? But I don't know what the will of God is. Well, first of all, become obedient to find out what that will is. I'm going to find out. You can't keep living in ignorance because ignorance is no case for the defense. And these instructions are very important. You know, it can be very, it can be quite consequential when we don't listen to what God is telling us. We drift away from what he's spoken to us rather than shift towards what he's saying. Very consequential and disastrous from those refusing. You know, I've, over the years, 20 odd years I've been a pastor, 30 years I've been in leadership. And I've spoken to countless, countless people during that time, as you can imagine. I've had that I've spoken to them publicly, I've spoken to them privately, with, whether it's over a cup of coffee or it's, it's a counselling session or whether it's in the pulpit. Irrespective of that, I've spoken to many, many people, just as you have. And I've seen how different people shift their heart and life towards an instruction and how others have shifted their lives away from it. And I've seen the consequences thereof. I've seen good people been destroyed. I've seen pastors and leaders lose their marriages because they failed. One pastor, I stood in his tent and I told him, you do this, you've gone. Do not do, make this decision you're about to make. A pastor. By the time I got back, two days later, three days later, I got a phone call. We're going. I said, don't do it. This is going to lead to disaster. They left, left this church. Within six months, a beautiful family, and it was a beautiful family, crashed and burned. The whole family got taken out, all because they would not face the consequence. They would not face the issue of taking instruction in the midst of what they wanted to do. The word of the law was coming to them, don't do it. And it's amazing how many marriages and relationships and jobs and blah, blah, blah have gone nosedive because people cannot take instruction. And yet equally so, I have been, I'm honored to be able to say, I've seen countless people whose lives have been protected, blessed, and, and been thrust into so much joy because they did listen. And, it's, and, and this listening and not listening is in every one of us. The only difference between wisdom and stupidity is whether you listened at the time and whether you've got a heart to, to pick up wisdom. I say to the ADT students, 
I have said to the AD students, do you know when wisdom is stood in front of you? Because it just doesn't stand in pulpits. Wisdom, God puts wisdom in front of you every day, everywhere. And if you haven't got a heart to spot wisdom, then you're actually saying, I'm not wise, I'm actually on the road to becoming a fool. Because God can speak and does speak and is speaking and has spoken from a multitude of situations. Jesus tells you to look at creation. Look at the birds. Look at the lizard of the field. Look at this. Because everything is speaking to us. But if your heart is not conditioned to wisdom and insight, it doesn't matter what's speaking, you don't see it or hear it because your heart is not leaning towards it. Your own opinion is greater than the wisdom of God. And very often we don't like the package it's coming through, so therefore we reject wisdom. Wisdom doesn't have a body. It lives in a body, but it doesn't have a body. Wisdom doesn't have a colour. It might come from a colour. Wisdom doesn't have a size. It might come from a tall person, a small person. But you must recognise when wisdom is stood in front of you. I love wisdom. I'm looking for it all the time. I listen for it. I read, I watch, I observe. Why? I love to watch people. Why? Because my heart is leaning towards observing people. Why? Because God speaks some profound things to me. Watching people. So, those people who crashed and burned, let me say this to you up front. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Your drift doesn't have to take place. It can be reversed. It can be seized. And it can be reversed. Amen? Now you see, our job as, as a leader is, is this. Listen to this. Our job as, as a leader is not to, uh, to force, coerce, manipulate, dominate. It's you to think like me. Do you know why? Because I've had to change my thinking. So why would I want you to think like me? Now let me clarify that. Don't think like I once thought. Because what I once thought is in transition. It's totally in transition. The man who stood, stood before this congregation 20 odd years ago is not the man stood before you today. Completely different animal. Now I can string two words together. Still can't remember words, but at least I can put words together. Hopefully, I'm a little bit more refined. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. But you know, our role is to lead, feed, protect, and instruct. Lead, feed, protect, and instruct. Lead. Lead myself first. If I can't lead myself... I'm not worthy of leading you. I must lead my family well. How can a man lead God's household if he can't lead his own family well? Lead his own family well. Just because you're the husband or, you know, doesn't mean to say you're the leader. He said lead them well. And there must be evidence of that well. So your, your family must be in wholeness and wellness. Okay, so wellness. So you lead, you, you, you lead them and then you can feed there must be evidence of he can feed the flock. He can't be telling you stories every week. He can't be just telling you, you know, stories and giving you anecdotes. He's got to be able to feed the people. 
So therefore, you know, feeding time for, you know, for the church can be quite most difficult time because, you know, because there's so many dysfunctions and, and immaturities and ignorances found in any church anywhere. Sometimes it's open that mouth, open that mouth, open that mouth. And, you know, as you get them looking that way, you put a spoon in that way. Now, it's a joy when you have a congregation who want to be fed. It's a lot easier feeding a congregation that wants to be fed than trying to convince a congregation that they need to be fed. True? And then everybody wants to feel the protection, but nobody wants to, to, to receive the instruction. And this is very clear throughout Scripture. Leaders must instruct. Leaders must lead. Part of leading is instructing. Not dominating, not coercing, not manipulating. Lead and instruct. This is a key part of leadership. So if you're a parent here this morning, you must lead and instruct your children. You must feed them and you must protect them. It's no different. These are indelible qualities that God looks for in his household of faith. Any house that does not have leadership and feedership is in trouble. It must have that. So, one of the greatest powers God has ever given to you and to me it's one of the greatest, didn't say the greatest. You know, we can raise the dead through the Christ in us. We can raise dead. We can raise the dead. We can heal the sick. We can lay hands on the sick. We can do amazing things through Christ Jesus. Is that not true? Our Bible tells us that. But one of your greatest powers you've ever been given is to submit yourself. It's to submit yourself. I can't force John to submit. Neither would ever want to try. But you know, when John submits his own heart to God and to a leader, that is the greatest power. Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down and take it back up again. You and I are no different. You have the power to lay your life down in the context of submission and fellowship. You have the power to lay your life down and you have the power to take it back up again and go the opposite way. True? When you go to work on Monday, you have the power of fellowship or you have the power of rebellion. That's in you and me. That power's in you. It may not be direct, it might be indirect. You may, be, you may obey on the outside, but in the inside you've sat down. An attitude's just as bad as the action. Oh, yeah. So you've been given this great power to willingly surrender and submit yourself to God, to his wisdom, and to his advice and his instruction that comes through his vessels. Everybody with me? Now, you see, if we're going to obey this scripture, we must pay careful attention to what we have received or what we are receiving we must recognize who it is who's speaking and where it's coming from. Is it I who's speaking or is it the Lord? And if it's, if it's I, you can look at me and go, I don't agree with you. If, it's, if you recognize the I is actually connected to the Lord, then that's a different issue. Paul was very clear that when he said some things, he said me. It's me who's saying this, not, not the Lord. But I know this is God. This is not me. I'm He's using me to say it, but... It's inspired and its origin comes from the Lord himself. So, there are two types of priests found in the, in the modern day church today. 
There are two types of priests. You're a priest and I'm a king. In fact, he says we are, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're kings and we're priests and kings. Would you all acknowledge that? And priests and kings have a function. They have a role. And there is the obedient priest and there is the disobedient priest. All the way through scripture, you'll always find the obedient and the disobedient are littered throughout scripture. If you turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2 1, I want to show you this, how this works. Malachi chapter 2, it's Old Testament. You know, if you hold your Bible, watch this. I'm going to give you a little litmus test. For those who've got your Bibles, obviously the younger generation have the phone, so they can't do it. If you do that with your Bible, look at that. Now you see the gold leaf on there. You can see the gold leaf is evenly worn right across the Bible. So you can see I'm not just a New Testament guy. You can see I'm not just an Old Testament guy. You can see I'm a Bible you can't just camp in the New Testament because I like what the New Testament says and ignore the Old Testament. So if half of your Bible's still got the gold on it and the other half hasn't, then you're on whatever side that gold's on, you're that kind of pa- that person. This is how we know whether we're full Christians or not. Just a little litmus test to catch you out. And I'll show you why in a minute. Malachi chapter 2, and now this admonition is for you, O priest. If you do not listen and if you do not set your heart towards honouring my name, says the Lord Almighty, I'll send a curse upon you. And I'll curse you, I'll curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honour me. Quite strong language. In other words, they've drifted in their affection. And in their love towards the Lord. And they no longer want to follow his instructions. So God is saying, whoa, 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 let's arrest this right now. I only need, I only want one kind of priest. I want obedient priests. I don't want disobedient priests. I want those who want it and who will move towards what I'm saying when I say it. Let's pick it up at verse 3. Because of you. So he's identifying the, the them. I rebuke your descendants and I will spread... On your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue. So he's saying this, so something will continue. And hopefully their behavior will change. Says the Lord Almighty, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. How many of you want a covenant of life and peace? Amen. I've got one. And I gave them to him, this called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Now that's what God wants. Amen. The tribe, in other words, the tribe of Levi upheld the instructions at one point given to them. True instructions was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. Wow. That's what God's looking for once again in you and I. True instructions are on there. Nothing false was found on their lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned from many sins. For the lips of a priest, watch this, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth, men should seek instruction. So if you're a priest, you should seek instruction and those around you should be drawn towards the instruction inside your heart. 
But that's not always the case in the body of Christ. We are priests. So God speaks to us. Priests have a function. Feast have a role. Uh, sorry, priests have a role. They have a, they have a function. And they are ordained by God. I'm not talking about Catholic priests. I'm talking about the priesthood of God. Now, if, if, the, priest, if the Catholic priest is born again, he's part of the priesthood of God. I'm not talking about the, the institutionalism now. I'm talking about the spiritual alignment. Amen? But then he says this. So, uh, from his mouth, men should seek instruction because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. They have, shift, they have drifted. Instead of made, making a shift towards God, at one point they were wholehearted. And something has got in, and now they're beginning to wane and wander. And they're drifting from that quality that they once carried. When we look back at our forefathers, we see a quality that they carried in God that we don't see today in the church. That tells us that the Levi, or we're going to call the priesthood, the royal priesthood that God calls us. I'll just use the word Levi because that's what we're reading right now. This royal priesthood, the standards that used to be in our forefathers is no longer in this generation. It's a clear indication that instructions are beginning to fall by the wayside more and more. So what we're doing is we're creating a church that needs less and less instruction. And we're lowering the standards. So the behavior begins to change and we think we're holding the standards of a sinking ship. It's true. So anyone wanting a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit must understand that God is a God of patterns, principles and protocol standards. God is, that's the, that is the bar's already been raised for you and I to have that relationship. If you want a relationship, you have to come to that level. God came to you when you were lost and you were in sin. But now you came to God, you, sorry, now God came to you. You must now come to him. You must put down your nets and follow him. When you was lost and in sin, he came to you. But now you must come to him where he is. That's very scriptural. So, many have asked us, what language does God actually speak? Have you ever thought about this? What language does God speak? Does God speak Hebrew? Does God speak Latin? The Catholic Church says God speaks Latin, so everything's in Latin. Does God speak in Hebrew? Does God speak in Aramaic? Does he speak in your language, Brenda? Does he speak Mancunian? Of course he speaks Mancunian. Do you know what the language God speaks? God. God speaks the language of his own word. That's the language God speaks. First and foremost, God speaks God. And you and I must tune to his language. And he speaks to us in ours so that we can be drawn to his language. We can learn his language. Because his language, listen, when God speaks to us in his language, he speaks from who he is. He speaks from who he is and he brings us up to where he is. Amen? And uh, 
When you can learn to speak his language, this is a good indicator that you and your father are becoming one. Think about this. When you can learn the language of God, learn the word of God, when God speaks from his word and speaks from his instructions from his word, God speaks from his word, from his servants, he speaks into your heart, he speaks many, many ways, he speaks from what we observe. But when you can learn the language of God, it's a clear indication that you are becoming one with your father. You see, when you have children, you teach them the mama, the dada. You teach them the first basic language of your, of your, what's that, the first basic words of your language, sorry. And then hopefully, the more they learn, the more you can converse with them. And the more you can converse with them, then you can instruct them. Then you can guide them, then you can guard them, then you can govern them. And it's all based on the language. The language is the door to them knowing the mother and father. And language is everything. And that's why your father says, you must speak my language. You must speak my language. I will speak to you and converse to you in your language so that you will know my language. Amen? God doesn't have to speak. God doesn't only speak English. I mean, that, those days of everyone thinking that God is English. Can you imagine? The, those English missionaries went over to the African nations and, and they taught them, you know, God is English. How dare they say God is English? God would never reduce himself to being an Englishman. My, my. If God's an Englishman, we're all in trouble. Man, he could be Scottish. Nay, laddie. Imagine if God spoke to you in Scottish. Ya did. Ya al did. Now, see, some people like to quote God's word, but quoting it is not the same as knowing it. Others own it. Others own the word, and it's in them, and, it's, and it comes out of them. So, what kind of priest will you and I be? We need to be obedient priests not disobedient priest. We need to be of the quality where it said the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction because they are the messengers of the Lord Almighty. This is what God wants, the standard God wants in his house at this point in time. Amen. He wants priests who can take instruction. Would you see that? So above all, we must understand that God reveals himself through scripture. And that he reveals himself and his will through the instructions he gives to those who he loves. Let me say that again. Above all, we must understand that God reveals himself through scripture. And that he reveals himself and his will through the instructions he gives to those who he loves. He reveals himself and his will to those he loves. Through those he's calling. Let me give you this scripture. Now, this is his premise for doing this. 2 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, old and new. Not, once, not the left side of the Bible. Not the right-hand side of the Bible. All scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful Needed and is necessary for teaching, watch, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Now look at the dimensions here of this word when God speaks to us. 
God's not, God's not hiding the intensity of his word. And he's not hiding the process that you and I must go through. This teaching. Have you ever considered you might need rebuking? Come on, look at the person at the side of you and say, he is talking to you and me. You just might need rebuking. Oh no, I could never be rebuked. I'm too holy and righteous. Are you rebuking me, you devil? No, 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 no. The devil's not rebuking you. You are being rebuked because you might need to be rebuked. Teaching. Well, yeah, we can, I, I, we can all acknowledge we might need teaching. We might consider someone else might need rebuking. But not us. No, 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 no. Not me. Not the righteous. I am the righteousness of God. Who needs rebuking? Now, how many of you know rebuking is different from correcting? Because he says rebuking, correcting. Well, I might, well, I might need correcting. Yeah, you just might need correcting. Why? Because you're not taking the instruction right. Have you ever considered this? No, you haven't. I'm happy with the teaching, Pastor. Just keep the teaching because the teaching's okay. It's, it can do that from a distance. But to correct me and to rebuke me, that's an upfront. It doesn't have to be upfront. See, if you're wise, you can be rebuked where you sat. And say, you know what? I've just, the Lord's rebuked me this morning. Why? Because I've realized my heart was wrong. And I can be rebuked in my seat. I don't have to be rebuked and scorned in my face. And I know if you've got a heart, God will speak to you wherever you are. But if you, if you are dull of hearing, you just might need the breath of somebody on your face and it isn't the Lord. But he might send his servant to go and rebuke you. Do you know how I know? I've been rebuked. I know what it feels like. Now watch. Necessary for teaching, training, correcting and... Sorry, rebuking, correcting and training. How many of you know training is different from... Teaching. Oh, yeah. In righteousness. Now, here's... Okay, so let's... I've just kind of slowly read that. Let me read it now in one breath. All scriptures God breathed and is useful, needed and necessary. That's me putting those words in. For teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that the man, so that the men, so that the people of God may be thoroughly... Equipped for every good work, not just for a Sunday meeting. So where's your work? Well, I go to work. No, I said, where's your work? Not where, not where do you work? Where's your work? Well, I, work, I mean, I work down there. I work down there. No, not where you work. Where is your work? If you are being trained and corrected and taught, where is your work? This is what God is trying to bring us to, to put the troops back into their boots. So that there's a work inside our hearts. There is a work internally and there needs to be a work externally that we need to do. Okay, for God. Now, let me read you the Amplified Version and let's just see how this thing, the Amplified Version turns it up a little bit. All scriptures God breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience. 
for training in righteousness, leaning to, to, sorry, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. It's not finished yet. So that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like that version. I like that word. Where's it gone? I like words. It's gone now. Oh, proficient. Proficient. I like that. Outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good word. It's profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, and restoration to obedience. I like that. Restoration to obedience. For training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably and per- with personal integrity and moral courage. Yeah. So we see that when God is going to speak to us from God, the language of God, he speaks to us and reveals himself through scripture to those he loves and to those he can take the instruction. Right? You seen that? So we see all of God will use all of scripture because it's all God breathed. Right. Let me give you another point. God communicates his instructions through his chosen vessel. So his chosen vessel now looks at the, the word, he's reading the word, and God gives him a message to go and speak to others about what God is saying. So God communicates his instruction through his chosen vessel on the ground. And that vessel then goes and teaches and instructs those who say they know the Lord and love the Lord to follow. So if John, or Kath, Chris say they love the Lord, they must be able to receive instruction. They must be able to recognize a vessel, that God speaks through a vessel, and that they can take the instruction coming through the vessel. The package is not always desirable. This is where, very often, it's easy to ignore the person and then shut the message down inside them. And I always say to you, and I've said it to you many, many times, it's not easy listening to the same pastor week in and week out. You need a a grace to listen to me. Why? Because your familiarity is what will close everything down. And my familiarity with you. So we have to be very careful that when God begins to speak, familiarity does not become the reason why we drift. So, so easy. So I changed my shirt. I put a different color shirt on to think that you might think it's someone else speaking. And think, hey, I like that preacher this week. Is it, is it a different one? Yeah, you had a different shirt on this week. An haircut, yeah, and an haircut. Don't forget the. I'm trending, I think. So, God commissions is listen, God commissions his vessel. And he assigns him to go and speak and address a group of people. In, or a nation, or a government, or whatever. And so God chooses a vessel. Then, when based on what's coming out of that vessel's mouth, you then begin to align yourself to that message. And that's how we follow Christ. That's why we can't just sit at home and follow Christ just by me reading my Bible. That's part of it, by the way. But you can't sit at home and say, my church is at home. There is no church at home. In that context, in that context, we can have church at home with family and things like that, but our church is not home. Do you understand that? So God commissions his servant in the assignment to instruct him. So 2 Timothy 4.2. 2 Timothy 4.2. Listen to what he says to Timothy. So if God's commissioning 
God communicates his instructions through his chosen vessel on the ground to speak and to teach those instructions to those who say they know the Lord and love the Lord. So, he's, so this is instruction given to Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Watch, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Instruction is major, major all the way through you and I growing as a Christian. Our fruitfulness is dependent upon the instructions we can receive and follow through on. Do you see that? Now let me take you back to the Amplified Bible again because the Amplified's got a great way of explaining what I've just read. Preach the word, it says, as an, offic- as, as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency and that's what I feel right now a sense of urgency whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable whether convenient or inconvenient whether welcome or welcome correct those who are in air of doctrine and of behavior warn those who sin exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity he's not finished yet with exhaustible patience so ADT students, that's my, when it comes to fruit, that's where I'm on. It, you just might be the person that's building inexhaustible patience in me. Oh, with me and in me, yeah. You just might be that person, all those people, inexhaustible. Anybody wants any inexhaustible patience? Well, here's the opposite of inexhaustible patience. I can't be doing with them. I've had enough of them. That's it. Stuff them. That's not inexhaustible patience. Anybody know any people that you just might need to bear the fruit of inexhaustible patience? Don't say your wife or your husband. Kids can be in inexhaustible patience. True? Your boss. Your pastor. We have to learn. Let me go back to where he said it now. Oh, yeah. And faithful teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate, watch, well, here we go now, and people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenge them with God's truth, but wanting to have their own ears tickled. I'm sorry, we don't do ear tickling ministry. With something pleasing, they, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, None, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors that they hold and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Watch this. Stay calm and cool and steady. Keep changing your shirts. Keep cutting your hair. Endure every hardship without finching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. How many of you know that the one, the vessel that God's called to give the people who will say they love God and follow them the instructions? How many of you know giving people instructions is a difficult thing to do? If you can receive that kind of assignment and be told to do what we've just read, 
then you know that people, the ones you lead and the ones who say they love you and you say you love them, they can be so difficult when it comes to them receiving instructions through you from the Lord. This is why he says this is not an easy ministry. You know, I love you in the Lord. I pray for you often in the Lord. You are my assignment and the, those who are yet to come and, and join us. You are my assignment. So if I don't have patience with you and I don't love you, then when I'm never going to be able to lead you in the affection of the Father's heart. Now, the issue comes is this, is to lead you, you have to be instructed. To lead, you have to go through times and I have to go through times of rebuke, correction, and training. Some of you will have ne never, ever, ever, ever let us train you. You've got a thousand and one excuses why you shouldn't be trained, can't be trained. I've been a Christian a long time. That speaks for itself. I was a Christian for a long time. So instructing the, the household of God takes patience and fruit. Now, like I say, I actually I like you. <laughs> and I think in many, many cases, you're very easy to, to teach and to instruct. But I do believe we're coming to a crossroads where we're now coming to a point of shift or drift. Because we have been clearly been given a mandate to prayer walk. Now, you haven't been told to knock on everyone's door. You haven't been told to do the Jehovah's Witness rally. You haven't been told to do the Mormons. You haven't been told to go and dance and sing in the street and we'll all come by arm, my Lord. And, you know, we haven't done that. All I'm asking, all God is asking us is to go and pray. Your, your attention to detail of that instruction will reveal whether you need teaching, correcting, rebuking, or encouraging. Your response to that word will either show whether my whether I've led, fed, protected, what was the last one? Instructed, thank you. Instructed, whether you can take and feed from that line. Because I also, I also have to join with you in that instruction. It's coming from the Lord. It's not just from me. It's not, he's giving it to me, to you. It's to us. So it's very important that we're all in obedience. Can you imagine if God will say, you know, I have one thing against you. I love your people. It's you I don't like. What good's that to a pastor if the Lord says they've got a good thing, Tony? They're all coming to heaven. You're not. Jog on. So, this scripture we just read clearly warns us of the reality that people do drift away. People do drift away from their instruction. That's why it says, you know, people drifting away from their instructions can affect the leader can affect the leader. Or say, for instance, someone comes along and says, I don't believe what you're saying. How dare you? The scripture says this, the scripture says that, the scripture says this, the scripture says that. It's amazing how many people know scripture. And then that can force the leader on his back foot to abandon ship, abandon ship, and because he's frightened or scared that the people will leave, right? Then he begins to change his message and he pulls back from the instruction and therefore you've got a pastor and the people now in the same position. 
But he says, no, 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 you've got to hold your ground, son. Hold your ground and, and be, be strong, but also be patient. Be wise, but also be forthright. So you've got to have this two-sided, you've got to have this strength, but you've also got to have this humility about you. And one of the greatest lessons of humility is whether a leader will, will bow his knee before the Lord and willingly submit and pray for those who are causing him difficulties. Because you are a great people and it takes great people to lead great people. So the man must willingly humble himself before the people, before his God, and say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to lead this great people of yours. Lord, you, I need what I don't have. And God has to convince the vessel, you know, when you're weak, then you're strong. All these struggles these boys had in here was trying to lead great people. People who wouldn't take instruction or people who wrestled with the instruction and caused all kinds of problems in themselves and in the church and in the community. Right? There was people who was once a part of them and then left because they didn't like what the message was saying and then they became an obstacle in the community. And Paul feels the weight of this. So leading people, following is just as difficult or can be just as difficult as leading. But you know what? The truth is we're all leaders And we're all followers in various capacities. We're leaders in our families. We may be leaders in our workplace. We can't all be leaders in the church. Only some can be leaders. You can't all be leader in the the workplace, but you can be leader in your home and family. Somewhere, listen, at some point in life, I have to be a follower. I can't always be a leader. You know, if I walk into anyone else's environment, I am not there. I'm not the leader. Right, so I have to keep willing and I willingly humble myself, and I go into environments where I can learn. And this, you know, they might say, "What do you do?" It's not, it's irrelevant what I do. Right now, I'm here to learn. I take the posture of a learner, and I always learn, and I like to learn, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm thank God, I'm a learner. I like to listen, I like to observe. Leading people is my greatest joy, it's my greatest frustration, and it'll be my greatest triumph. But you know, the first person I have to lead every morning is myself. I have to first lead myself wisely, righteously, uprightly, honorably, because if I can't lead myself, I have no right to stand before you. So, the charge that Paul gives to his apostolic son, Timothy. Timothy is a young guy. You get the feeling he's a young guy, and he can be pushed around a wee bit. And Paul's saying, son, I put too much into you for you to be pushed back from this opposition. And this is what I say to you. We put too much into you for you to drift back. Too much has gone into you. We've labored too long for you to struggle with the instruction. And he says this, son, 1 Timothy 1.8. He said, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. So a son has to take the instruction from his father. Fathers must give instruction to the sons. Let me say that again in case he went to the back wall and hit me. Leaders must be able to give instructions to followers. Fathers must be able to give instruction to spiritual sons and daughters. Now, not everyone's a son and daughter. I understand that. And not every man who speaks is a father. But where where those people are in position, 
A son must take instruction. At some point, if you're going to be, a, if you're going to be called the true sons of God, you must take instruction from your father. And you must take instruction from leadership levels. Why? Because they also are the head and shoulders government. God's put there to protect and lead his people and feed his people. So he says this, Timothy, my son, I give you the instruction. So if I'm speaking to the 11, the 11 know what, what that means. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by following them, you may fight the good fight of faith. Holding on to the faith with a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. They've drifted. Can you see this? 1 Timothy 1.18. They've shipwrecked their faith. Among them, now watch this, he's now shaming two of them. Hermenius and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So when your name's been recorded in the Bible... As one of those who backslid, blasphemed, accused, blah, 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 whatever it is. And your name's in the Bible. It tells me that the Bible's recording stuff. The Holy Spirit is recording. So when we get to the books in heaven, let's look at Mr. Elliot. Now you see, you start worrying if yours is a small book. Do you know why a small book you worry? Because you've done now. All you've got is your name in there. I want a big book. I want a big book and then I want a book within a book. I don't want him to cross-reference it. Look back and say, whoa, it's a big book. Did I do all that in my life? Oh, don't worry, son, it's not all good. No, it's not all good. Well, thank God. That's the time I checked my doctrine. <laughs> Does the blood of God cover me from all the sin and righteousness? No, what the point I'm making is, the books in the, uh, there is a book in heaven and there are books in heaven. The Bible's very clear. Book and books. And it's recording everything that you and I have ever done, ever said, and ever said to one another, said about God, complained to God. All that stuff's in there. It's all in there. And you know what? It's got the most clearest handwriting. Angelic handwriting. Gold leaf. Right? It's all there. And you can't turn around and say, well, actually, I'm going to bring my lawyers in. There ain't no lawyer. The Holy Spirit is your lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is your lawyer. He'll defend you. In fact, you won't even get a chance. Some have, some have rejected these, it says, some. I want to really hold, um, what's the word? Insist. Implore you. Don't be part of the Some. Don't be part of those who shipwreck their faith because they will not take instruction. Among those are Hermenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. That's a powerful thing to be handed over to the name to be over Satan. Don't try it. Don't try it. It's not your authority to do that. Somebody you don't like, don't say I'm handing you over to Satan. Whoa, don't go there. This is an apostle talking, this. There's quite a few people you might want to have handed over, but don't. You can't. Listen, what do you do if Satan's your father and you're handing him over? You're assuming when you're handing somebody over, you're on the other side. Within, our, within the church today, there are countless Armenius and Alexandras right through the body of Christ. 
You must ensure that you're not recorded in the book as being one of them. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. I'm coming to an end. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject men, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Watch this. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he, she, they who reject this instruction does not reject men, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Why does he say that? Because he's giving you the spirit of truth. You should know when truth is being spoken. Because it's the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. It testifies that what's being said is right. But when your flesh is drifting away, you become dull to your sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then your voice of human reasoning begins to take over and you say it's the Holy Spirit. And it's not. Wow. So, though drifting away... Though drifting away from instruction may not always be intentional, it is consequential. Think of what I just said then. Not everybody who, who drifts away does it deliberately. It's not always intentional, but it is consequential. Whether you did it deliberately or unintentionally, it is still consequential. Revelation, let me read these two scriptures and we're finished. Hebrews 2, we've already said, we must pay careful attention, the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We see that if we don't do this, the opposite will take place. We do the first to protect the second. Does that make sense? We do the first so we don't fall into the trap of the second. Everyone hearing my voice, please, please, please keep this in mind. You must do the first in order to protect yourself from the second. If you don't do the first, don't act surprised when the second comes. You must teach and encourage and instruct your family to do these things. And you as the leader of the family must start the process. Make sure that in one another, the process, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing, honey? The man's job is to wash the word, wash his wife with the word, to keep bringing her the, into the current word of God. Remember what we heard on Sunday? Do you remember when we, when we read this together? Do you remember when we prayed and we felt, we felt this? He must keep on inspiring his partner. Do it with your friends, do it with your family. Why? Because if we don't, this is going to happen. Now, what happens if that happens inside a relationship? One's going backwards and one wants to go forward. Well, you know what happens? You've got contention. That's why so many uh, marriages end up Splitting or so many marriages, one of them comes to church and the other one doesn't. Because at some point, one pushed on and the other one didn't. It happened in my own marriage. In the early parts of my marriage. God, so what did I have to do? I had to go, the one who was leaning forward had to go and pray and prophesy over my wife's pillar. Night after night after night. With an exhaustible patience. For five years. Just prophesying over Carol's side of the bed. Until God began to stir her heart once again. Why? I was showing God, I'm taking the instruction. And though my wife is not with me in the faith, she will be with me. 
That's what you have to do to your children. That's what you have to do to your family. Someone has to stick to the instruction. Because those who have backslid, their only hope is you obeying yours. You must stay in the fight. And then Revelation says this, Revelation 3, 2, this is the last scripture. And he says this, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have not formed, uh, sorry, I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. You're not finished. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief in the night. And you will not know what time I will come to you. Wow. When we read the term drift away, when Hebrew uses that word drift away, it's the only time in scripture the Greek uses this word drift and it's in relation to a ship that drifts idly. It wasn't intentional. But it was careless nonetheless. Someone didn't make sure the rope was holding it. Someone didn't make sure, didn't give enough attention to make sure that it was fastened and fixed. So what they did is they put casual effort and then what happens is the storms of life that's coming anyway will come and test you what you've done. And it will then undo and cause you to drift away because you don't put attention to detail in that area. So you put half-heartedness. And you put less and less effort into it because you seemingly looks like you're getting away with it until all of a sudden you look where your life's gone and you've drifted so far you're no longer near the shore. Wow. And you expect God to come looking for you. God doesn't have to come looking for you because he already knows where you are. And it's that voice that has to cry out to him, Father, where are you? It has to come from you. You don't have to do a bad thing to drift. You don't have to have even rebelled or sinned to start the process of drifting. Drifting happens through your neglect and my neglect. It happens slowly without you noticing. Very few Christians throw away their faith, but they do drift from it. You don't have a decision where you go, that's it. But you do drift from it. Bible commentator William Newell said this, Drifting is the quietest, easiest, most delightful way of dying. Wow. Drifting is the quietest, easiest, most delightful way of dying. It can happen to worship leaders, preachers, missionaries, elders, deacons. Husbands, wives, children, bosses. The words of John Curson says this, most of us are in danger of plunging into the sea of carnality. Sorry, most of us are not in danger of plunging into the sea of carnality. This week or even next week, most of us are not going to be murderers, drug addicts or, or suicide. The danger is not plunging into the ocean of perversity, but rather drifting away almost imperceptibility. In other words, you drift. You've gone. 
I just turn around and you've gone. Where did you go? In fact, you've been here, but you, but you drifted a long time ago. Church, let's stand to our feet. I want to bring us to a sobering moment. I'll finish like I started, strong. There are countless people who have, been, who have had the pleasure of standing before, who have heard the voice of the Lord being spoken to them through me and others in this house. Do you know they're not here today? I'd like to say many of them went on to better things. But the truth is many of them are backslid. We could fill this, we could fill this church four and five, six and seven times over with people who once took a seat like you, smiled and said, oh, all for Jesus I surrender. And those who were older than me could even go back even further. Countless faces. And yet they drifted. They drifted. Some drift, drift away from where the revelation God's given them and they go and sit in religious institutionalism. You drifted. Your father didn't call you to that. Some of you have drifted from following God to I'll come whenever I'm free. And this careless mentality is drifting. Oh, you're not doing it intentionally, but it is consequential to your life. The Lord has given us an instruction. And through his instruction, he wants us to uphold his instruction. Not drift away from it. I'd like to think that this, this pastor will continue in his assignment of leading, feeding, protecting and instructing. I'd like to think that his pastor will continue to keep using this word to teach, train, correct, rebuke and encourage in righteousness so that this body will be equipped for everything it needs. I'd like to think that, but if I don't pay attention to it, I'll drift from it. I don't want to be one of those preachers who once carried fire and now doesn't even have any coal. We need altars and we need materials on the altar. And if God's fire is going to burn, he needs you on the altar sticking. Here I am, Lord. It might be raining in your world. It might be snowing. It might be windy or blowing. That's not your issue. The issue is God will, can ignite materials irrespective of, the, of the, the weather conditions. So I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I want you to, with sobriety, go back and say, Father, if I've drifted, Holy Spirit, Bring me, you, bring me back to course. If my heart has drifted, waned or wandered, Lord, I didn't do it consciously, deliberately, but nevertheless, it is consequential as I've just heard this morning. I don't want to throw my faith away and neither do I want it to drift away. Lord, give me the capacity to hold the instruction of the Lord, to hold my life upright, to hold my family upright. To fight for something that's worth fighting for. To stay in the fight. Not to drift back. Not to wander or wane. But oh God. Father. I don't want to become a bruised reed. I don't want to, I don't want to blow in the wind. Lord I want to stay upright. Father today. 
I repent of any ounce of backsliding, drifting that has taken, that has sought to take over my life. Come on, pray this prayer if you will. Lord, I forgive, I ask Lord that you forgive me. If, if there's a cold heart starting to develop, oh God, root it out right now in Jesus' name. Well, I still have sanity left in my head. Well, I still have clarity in my heart. Root it out, oh God, and remove all kind of drifting in me, oh God. Oh, Father, let me lay hold of the instruction that's being given today to take care of my life. Lord, as you fed me and you feed me, oh God, keep my eyes open, keep my ears open, keep my spirit hungry, oh God. So, Lord, that I'm hungry, oh Lord. Father, I thank you, oh God, that we have a house that feeds, a house that awakens, a house that stirs, a house that speaks the truth. God, give this leadership, continue to give this leadership truth and clarity. Lord, if we need rebuking, then Lord, let it be done in love. Lord, if we need instruction, Lord, let it be done with clarity. If we need training, oh God, let it be done with expertise, oh God. (coughs) Father, I pray that you give this house what is needed to keep the saints upright. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, through the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, let it be done according to your will. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you.